0: The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. We're going to get into the book of Acts right now. We are in Acts 26, and we're going to be reading starting at verse 20. If you need a Bible, there are some in front of you, and we are on page 931, if that makes it a little bit easier to find. But Acts, you want to go all the way towards the back. And again, I'll give you a second, but we are in Acts chapter 26 starting in verse 20, and we'll be reading through verse 29. Acts 26, verses 20 through 29. I preached first to those in Damascus, and then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God. And they prove they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time, so I can testify to everyone, from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead, and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth, and King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains.
1: Thank you, Crystal Perry. Great courtroom drama movies. What are some that you guys, great courtroom drama movies? A few good men. That's the title of our t- talk message today. A few not so good men. These guys we're going to see here. What else? Better call Saul. Yeah, down here, my cousin Vinny. Great, awesome acting drama in that one. Yeah, all that. We're looking today at these these courtroom scenes where Paul is on trial. There's three different courtroom scenes. And and those of you who have ever done jury duty know that courtrooms are nothing like the movies. There's a lot of it just on and on, just repeat and read this into the record and all that kind of stuff. But in every trial, just like we're going to see here, there are a few of those, you can't handle the truth moments. And we're going to see one or two of those in this today. I want to encourage you, uh, we're not going to read the three and a half chapters we're going to cover of these trials. Go home on your own and get into the details about yourself and then be here the next three weekends because we're, uh, next three weekends is our three-part finale of the book of acts where people get bit by snakes and storms and shipwrecks it's crazy like pirates of the caribbean mediterranean kind of stuff going on in there i need you today you'll see there on top of your note sheet it says listen fast you gotta listen fast you gotta stay with me today we try to get this place really cooled off so it never got really comfortable we keep it cross point cold in here to keep you guys awake in here so uh listen fast One of the questions that I had with this and with our team was, why does Luke spend so much time talking about courtrooms and judges and politics? Because these are political people. And part of what, well, the main reason Luke is writing this book of Acts, recording it for us, is to show us how this thing that started off as this little Nazarene cult in some Podunk plays over there in Jerusalem, Nazareth, all that over there. In 30 years, it got all the way to Rome, just like Jesus said it would. Now, they had to go at the beginning of going, there's no, Rome, come on, all the way to the ends of the world. And sure enough, it happens there. And he's showing us here how in these trial scenes, illustrating for us that God, that God uses everybody, even politicians. Uh, Proverbs 21 verse 1 says this, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Proverbs 13 verse 1 says this, uh, there is no authority except what has been established by God. Now, important thing here, some of you go, well, wait a minute, what about evil people? What about the guy that got elected or didn't get elected or whatever you think about politics and stuff that? Just because authority has been established by God doesn't mean that he approves of it. Sometimes God allows evil, terrible people to lead, and he lets us kind of go, hey, you want that? I'm going to let you have what you want to show you some things to illustrate some things. Um, and as we look at these stories today, three and a half chapters of really listening fast, uh, we get to keep a big perspective in mind here, what Luke is trying to show us here, that this was not about human ingenuity, human ingenuity and, and human strategies. Like they didn't go, oh, we got this great plan, we're going to get this all figured out. It's all about God's providence and God's sovereignty. And people go, that's a big providence. And so, what's that mean? Here's what it means: write it down. God's in charge of who's in charge. Even the lunatic, wacko weirdos. God's in charge of who's in charge. And then, in situations like this, where Paul is trying to get the gospel of Christ to Rome, to the far re- to the center, to the epicenter of the Roman Empire. Uh, You can write this down here, what sovereignty means. When the odds are improbable, God does the impossible through the implausible. I'm going to take your phone out and just get a picture of that. It's like a Dr. Seuss comes to church here today. When the odds are improbable, God does the impossible through the implausible. You know who the implausible are? You're looking at us. God does not choose winners to build his team. In fact, he goes, I'm going to choose The weirdos, the wackos, the crazy people. Once in a while, a really awesome, amazing person gets in. But, you know, he says, because if you guys guys were all the awesome people, you'd think you just did it yourself. So what happens here? In chapter 23, verse 12, we're going to summarize this. Read it on your own. There's this conspiracy. Paul has been arrested, put up in the Antonia Fortress, bordering the temple. And these 40 men say, we're going to go on a hunger strike. We're not going to have anything to eat until that guy's dead. And they concoct this whole scheme to say, let's move him from the forges over here. Put him on trial there. On the way to that trial, we'll ambush him. We'll kill him. Paul's nephew overhears this somehow. And he is sent then, Paul sends him to uh, Lysias, who's the centurion in charge of prisoner security and detail. And Lysias then sends Paul with about, we can think of, five or 600 Roman soldiers to take him from Jerusalem up to the uh, Roman capital of Palestine, a place called Caesarea. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, okay, why is it called Caesarea? Well, no Jewish people would build that town and call it Caesarea. The Romans built it, and they built it on the coast because they want great property on the coastline, and since they're in charge, they just take whatever they want and built it there. Sometimes God's going to use people like Paul's nephew in His providence, in His sovereignty, and sometimes God's going to do amazing things. There are stories in the Bible of, of people coming against God's God's uh, people, like the Red Sea. <laughs> the Red Sea opens up, and <laughs> Pharaoh's army gets drowned. There are stories of walls being knocked down in Jericho. There are stories of like guys that are coming against Moses and Aaron, and it says the earth, God opened the earth up and swallowed them alive. Now that's the kind of stuff I get. Like if God would use me to do that. That'd be exciting. But most of the time, you know how God's going to use you? Paul's nephew. It's going to feel like, I just overheard something. You're not going to feel like, God spoke to me. God revealed something. It's not going to be big and dramatic. Uh, write, write this down. God's providence often feels like coincidence. Sometimes you're being used by God, and you don't feel anything in there. You go, what is God doing in my family, with my children, in the workplace? How is God using me? In this situation, yes, you don't feel it because another guy, I've heard this years ago, that, uh, God, that coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous. When he doesn't label it and say, you know, lightning and fire and earth opening up and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he sends extra measures of protection to Caesarea. Here's the map up here on the screen that you'll see. You can see it's about 50, 60 miles from Jerusalem, the capital, the Jewish capital of Palestine and Israel, up to the Roman capital, up to to Caesarea, Uh, the guy who's in charge, who's the governor, the Roman governor overseeing uh, the the Palestinian area, which is the Jewish people, the Palestinians, everybody that's there, his name is Felix. We've already met one of the governors of uh, the nation of Israel, one of the Roman governors, whose name was Pontius Pilate. Uh, He was the guy that condemned Jesus to death. He he said, look, I find no basis for charge against this man, but wanting, watch the theme here, to keep the crowd happy, got to keep the peace here, because there's a thing in Rome called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And if you messed with that, either as a civilian, Rome would come and just burn the whole place down. If you're the political leader there, they would take you out and ship you out somewhere else or maybe take you off to prison, execute you. So Pilate keeps the peace there. Four or five more governors come along, and then in AD 52, AD 52, a guy named Felix becomes the governor of the, of the, nation, of, of the Palestinian area there in Israel. Chapter 24, what happens here is the charges are listed out by Tertullus, the the Jewish lawyer hired by the Sanhedrin, by the political authorities of Israel to bring charges against Paul because they want him condemned to death. And they say this, he has, number one, desecrated the temple, which for Rome they go, "Eh, it's your temple. But that's a big deal to Israel and that that would create an uprising if you desecrated the temple. Number two, he is guilty of disturbing the peace. Wherever he goes, it's crazy. And he says he also follows, he's the ringleader of this Nazarene cult talking about Jesus from Nazareth. They don't say a Jerusalem cult because that'd be like the, the capital Nazareth. would be like, like today saying like, I don't know, out in Blythe, the, the Blythian cult. Like they're just making fun of it, but going, it's dangerous because there's really extreme people that live out there. They have bunkers buried and they have like 57, 80,000 weapons buried underground because they're sure we're coming for them. All that kind of stuff. Some of you know, that's your people. You know that. Um, these charges are listed. Paul responds in verses 10 to 21, and he says, Where's the witnesses for this? They're bringing all these charges. They have no witnesses to prove this. He says, I am not guilty of desecrating the temple. I am, number two, not guilty of disturbing the peace. As far as the way of Jesus goes, guilty is charged. Look about it. Look at it here in verse 14. Uh, Acts 24, verse 14. He says this, But I admit that I follow the way, the way of Jesus, which they call a cult. I worship the God of our ancestors and I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all the people. And so uh, Felix hears this defense and says, well, What do we do with this? A lot of this quibbling about their religious laws. What are we going to do about this. He says, Oh, Colin, come back in a couple of days and we'll see if we can figure something out. A couple of days later, uh, he comes back in, look down at verse 24. A few days later, Felix, who was quite familiar with the way, so this has happened here now, and everybody knew about this way of Jesus. It's gaining some traction. It still looked at it as like this little offshoot of the Jewish religion, like a little Jewish cult thing. He, uh, he came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, sending for Paul. They listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment, Felix became frightened. Felix freaks out. Go away for now, he replied. When it's more convenient, I'll call for you again. He also hoped that Paul would bribe him. So he sent for him quite often and talked with him. This is how the way things worked back then. All the time in the political world, there's a lot of ways too. Yeah, you want to get out of this, just... Settle up, pay some money here. We can get you out of this messy situation. But it says there, Paul doesn't do that. After two years went by in this way, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Felix and Festus, some good old boys. And because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish people, he left Paul in prison. Again, what political authorities have to do to keep the peace, keep everything settled down, just keep things as they are. Because if we release the sky and everything escalates, we heard of what happened here 20, 30 years ago with that Jesus character. Let's just keep it all calm, keep everything in place and stable. Paul, it says here that uh, Felix sent for him often. You know why he sent for him? He was not concerned about Jesus Christ, about getting right with God. That kind of, all that stuff freaked him out. You know what he wants? Show me the money. Show me that. Oh, he's going like, and everybody knows this. Paul, you know, to get out of this, just show me the money. And Paul doesn't do it. He doesn't compromise on that. He just stays there. But you have to figure, the Bible just covered two years in about one or two sentences, So it feels like two years, boom, and then it moves on. Think about two years ago, July of 2020. Think about what's going on in our culture, our world. Some of us feel like we're still in prison of COVID and all that stuff. We never know what's the next thing that's going to happen. Are are meteors and frogs coming out of the moon or something? It's like, what else is possibly going to happen here? But imagine now for two years, and you're not some guy who likes to sit around binge-watching TV and all that stuff. Paul is, like, fervent for the cause of Christ, going, I got, hell is, man, hell is hot, life is short, let's go! And he's stuck in prison for July of 2020. All the way through all that. All the way through of July of 2021, and he's still in jail. He's not out yet. Still in Prison and wondering, what in the world's happening here? God, what, what, are you, what are you doing? I wonder if today you feel like that, perhaps, with somebody in your life. You feel like you're stuck in a situation with your current spouse, your ex spouse, something with your kids, something with your work, something with just, and you wonder, I feel like I'm just stuck here. Like, what's the point? Like, I've tried to talk to my kids, tried to talk to my ex, tried to talk to people about Christ and my faith and all that. And it feels like it just goes nowhere. It feels like it just. Whew. And all they care about is like, okay, so what's the fun thing you're going to do at your church? Do they have good donuts there and good coffee there? The answer to that is we have average donuts and average coffee on purpose. We want you stopping at the place where you got $5 cups of coffee and make friends with your barista there on the way to church. Now, we'll provide coffee, and we're fine, Hello. but we're not, you know, all that stuff. We want you to build those relationships there. But at times, it just feels like, why am I doing this? What's the point? She's not listening. They're not listening. All they want is, well, but more and more. That's, again, it feels like... Understand what happens here. Paul gets called in over and over and over again and he knows the reason he's being called in there. Felix does not have pure motives for calling him to talk about Christ. You know what Felix wants? Money. And yet Paul leverages the opportunity because I'll talk to you about Christ I don't care what your motives are. So write this down. In your life where you feel like what's happening here, uh, write this down. Leverage opportunities regardless of motives. No matter what people's motives are, like we're trying to get a bunch of people to come to that summer party that Crystal just talked to you about. We want a bunch of you to serve in there because look at me, the party's not for us. The party's for the city. So we need lots of you guys to jump in there and help us out with that. And some people will go, well, we're here for the free cotton candy and the free face painting and the free jump and free and all that and go, well, don't they care about Christ? Yeah, not yet. We don't care what their motives are. If we can do anything we can to get in the room with people who don't yet know about Christ, we're gonna do that no matter what their motives might be. Keep something here in Acts. Go a couple of books to the right in your Bible. You're in Acts, go to Romans, pass the books of Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Go to Philippians. Paul eventually makes it to Rome. He's in prison under house arrest with a whole palace guard there with him. Look what he says in uh, Philippians chapter one. Verse 13. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard. That's be like saying, including the, every shift of the secret service in the White House. All the people that work there, probably hundreds of men, maybe even women that are part of this, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ and because of my imprisonment, Most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. You see what happens here? Paul doesn't talk about the fact that this guy and this guy and Marcus and Festus, all these guys became Christians. He says, I don't know what's going to happen with these guys. They hear about Christ, but you know what's happening here? Sometimes you have no idea of the ripple, the unintended impact of your actions. Because maybe nobody in the prison heard about, cared about Christ, all that, but you know What happened? The cause of Christ grew outside the walls of that because Paul, if Paul was out, they would let Paul just talk. And he's good at it, so they just let Paul talk. Paul's not there, you know what has to happen? Everybody's talking about Jesus now. People that have followed of Christ, this, the cause of Christ grows and multiplies in Philippi. That's sometimes the unintended consequences. So leverage your opportunities, regardless of motives and regardless of outcome. Felix doesn't become a Christian. He just wants a bribe and he didn't, he's done and then Festus comes along. Uh... And Festus reigns as the governor of Palestine for just two years. We know this from uh, history. Because there's been a, a change of administration, the Jewish political and religious sort of think, okay, here's our chance. He doesn't know about this. We'll just kind of petition the court and say, let's move him from, from Caesarea up here on the coast because it's a Jewish matter, back to Jerusalem, knowing, okay, we got these guys, they're gonna kill him because they wanna, we'll ambush him on the way. And the governor goes, ah, not so fast, we'll hear the trial here. But he goes, okay, but that's really what they want. So in the back of his mind, he reads the charges against Paul. Paul again says, I'm not guilty of any of what they're charging me with. In verse nine, then Festus, here it is again, politicians, what their job is, wanting to please the Jews, wanting to keep the population happy, asked him, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? And Paul knows what's going on. He's heard about this. He's been in prison now for over two years. Everybody knows. There's like, once you get out of here, they're just going to ambush you along the way. But Paul replied, no, this is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well I'm not guilty of harming the Jews. If I have done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I'm innocent no one has a right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Festus conferred with his advisors and then replied, very well, you've appealed to Caesar and to Caesar you will go. Some quick little history stuff here. What is this whole idea of appealing to Caesar? Because in our deal, we wouldn't say appeal to the president or appeal to the highest leader in the land. We would say when you've worked through all the systems with legislative stuff and judicial branches at the various local courts and regional courts and all that, when you really want to get to the highest court in land, what would you say? I appeal to the Supreme Court. This is what Paul's doing here. Roman citizens had the right to go to Rome and have their case heard by, Ju- by, by the Caesar, by the head of the Roman Empire. Now that would be expensive and you got to figure there's a whole bunch of people there waiting here at their case heard so you could be there a while. But Paul had the right to do it, and he goes, look, I can smell this, I can see what's happening here. If I don't get out of here pretty soon, they're going to release me and then I'm going to be dead. So he appeals to Caesar Festus says, all right, you appeal to Caesar, Yet you're right, we, we'll send you there. A couple days later, um, it, it tells us that King Agrippa arrived with his whole entourage. And some of you go, okay, so we got, this is a few not so good men. We met Felix and Festus, governors of Palestine. Who's this King Agrippa and why is he king? Isn't king over governor? Back then, the Roman Governor was the supreme authority of the region, wherever he was ruling and reigning. But Rome had learned some things about the realities of life. They would often install uh, ethnic groups, people that are of the same ethnicity, of the place they had taken over, because they get the culture, they, can, they, they get how things work here, and, and they can be a good friend to Rome. And see Herod you may want to write this down Herod is Jewish by ethnicity, but Roman by loyalty. He's not loyal to... Think about it. If you're Rome, are you going to put some patriot being the king there? You're not putting that guy there. He's a puppet king. Now, they give him some authority, and they give him the ability to tax and the ability to pass some laws and take care of his people. It takes care of some of the the animosity that happens by having a a completely foreign government ruling and reigning over everything that you're doing here in, in Palestine. And so Herod Agrippa comes to town. Now, some things about Herod Agrippa, this king... His great grandfather, Herod Agrippa I, had tried to kill Jesus as a baby. Great granddad. Granddad had John the Baptist killed. Dad had James, the one of the key leaders in your church, had Acts chapter twelve talks about it, had him killed. And now we still have to hear about Paul. Now Agrippa here, like there's a whole you like you can kind of see this coming, right? Killed this guy, tried to kill this guy, wiped this guy out. And now he's going to hear my case. What's going on here? Festus tells him all about it. And Agrippa says in verse 22 of chapter 25, says, I want to hear this case myself. And Festus says, all right, we can do that. Look what happens here. Look at verse 25, verse 23. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice arrived at the auditorium with great pomp accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. This is not some quiet little secondary court over here. This is like the main thing. Lots of people are showing up here. The press would be here, YouTube would be here, TikTok, everybody's here to record this. They're accompanied by military officers. Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are here, this is the man whose death is demanded by all the Jews, both here and in Jerusalem. But in my opinion, he has done nothing deserving death. However, since he appealed his case to the emperor, I've decided to send him to Rome. But what shall I write the emperor? For there is no clear charge against him. If you have your own Bible out or your own digital device, highlight, underline that one there. No clear charge against him. So I've brought him before all of you, and especially you, King Agrippa, so that we may, ex- after we examine him, I might have something to write. For it makes no sense to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying the charges against him. The Roman leaders, looking at this guy going, we have nothing to, we're going to send him to Caesar. And Caesar's going, go, what's, what's this guy doing here? He hasn't done anything wrong. Yet they hold this trial to figure out what's we got to figure out some things here that he's done wrong, so we can send him there. Men and women, boys and girls, students who are here today—you are living increasingly in a post-Christian culture, not pre-Christian. But people don't know about it, and I'm not sure we ever Christian necessarily We're Christianized, maybe for a while. We're living in a post-Christian culture where people are now very skeptical and they know about the way of Jesus and they're going, done with it. And, like, and they're looking for reasons, like here with Paul, we're on trial all the time, looking for reasons to ridicule us, to write us off so they can reject Jesus. And they're, looking at, they're not looking at Jesus in the Bible, they're looking at you and me. And uh, so write this down. Don't give them reasons to ridicule, ridicule you and write you off and reject Jesus. 1st Peter keep something here in acts or go back to the book of 1st Peter if you get to revelation just go back to the left a little bit 1st Peter chapter 4 Peter uh, writing to Christians and churches scattered all over the Roman Empire says it this way one of the big themes of 1st Peter is unjust unfair suffering he says of course chapter 4 verse 4 of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things, they do. So they slander you. Look at verse 14. You can read the rest of that chapter later, but verse 14, he kind of sums it up. So protest and post when you are insulted for being a Christian. What? What? Not not your Bible either, huh? So be happy when you're insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious spirit of God rests on you. Some of us have too much of the glorious spirit of you on you. It ain't so glorious, pal. I'm telling you right now. What if like instead of being about everything, we just go, I'm just gonna take it and be quiet and be happy. (laughs) Look at verse 15 now. He says, if you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it's no shame to suffer for, the, for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. I think it's fascinating here. Peter says we have a new perspective on suffering. They're looking for charges against you. Looking for things to charge you against. Don't give them reasons to ridicule and write you off. And it's fascinating here. <laughs> that he says, hey, and if you suffer for Christ. If you're going to suffer for Jesus. Make sure it's for Jesus and not because you're a jerk. And it's fascinating here, he says, to people who are Christians, not to the culture out there, uh, quit murdering and stealing. You know why you had to tell them that? Because there's people in the church that had regularly killed and stole and all that kind of stuff. You had to stop doing that. You're going to get in trouble for that with the authorities. And then you go to jail. You can't say was come a Christian, they're getting, I mean, no, you're... And then he says, making trouble, just kind of stirring things up all the time. And then the last one here, on the same list, mind you, with murder and stealing is... Always having to know people's business. That's right. Always wanting to post and cancel and wonder about this and ch- ch- dive in. Always having to know about that. He says, don't do that because you're going to annoy people and bother you and they're gonna go, oh, those Christians are always nosy, always judging people, all that kind of stuff. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. Back in Acts 26, Here's the third trial that happens here. Agrippa is on trial, and Agrippa tells Paul, all right, tell me, this still. I, I, I've read the charges against you. The witness may testify. And he lets Paul just go, and Paul talks about the fact that he was raised as a, in a Jewish faith, in a Jewish family. He says, but right now, look at verse 6. Now I'm on trial because of my hope and the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. He's not playing because of this new faith in Jesus. He says, this is just the fulfillment of what God has told us about for thousands of years in the Torah and in the prophets and the Psalms, all that. In verse nine, I'm summarizing this. In verse nine, he tells us, you know, I didn't always like Jesus. In fact, I hated him. Paul was the first terrorist. He oversaw the execution, not only of Stephen, recorded for us in Acts chapter 7. He oversaw the imprisonment, the torture, the enslavement, the, the, the deaths of Christians. Went to get him just because they're He was trying to wipe this thing out, doing exactly what these guys are trying to do to him right now. He goes, now I know how this feels. He says, and then on my way to wipe it out up in Damascus, God knocked me on my tail. And appeared to me and said, knock it off, pal. You're mine now. And I, it was so dramatic and so powerful. He said, I understood the gospel all at once. He says, and then God gave me an assignment. He didn't just call me to believe. He gave me an assignment and says, you're going to take my message here, there, and everywhere. It's going to go all over the world because of what, what you're going to say, what you're going to tell people about me. Look at verse 19. And so King Agrippa, chapter 26, verse 19, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, also to the Gentiles. This is the whole book of Acts, guys. Right there, Acts one eight. Maybe put that little reference there. Jesus said, "Look at me. Don't miss this." Jesus didn't say, "Come on, guys, get busy and make sure it gets out there." Jesus said, "No, it's going to go everywhere. Um, it's going to get everywhere. It's going to get in thirty years after he's died, risen again, and he's gone." We're gonna find out there are churches before Paul even gets to Rome, the apostle Gentiles, there's already churches in Rome going on. This thing is crazy, said um, that almost repent of their sins, sorry, and turned to God and proved that they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, they tried to kill me, but God's protected me and right up to this present time, so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. He said, this is not some new thing, guys. He's saying this to Agrippa. He's saying this to all the people who are accusing him, of him, accusing him wanting to kill him. He goes, this is not something that happened in some far-off corner. We didn't go into some cave and find some magic tablets or have some secret vision of God over here. None of that happened. This happened... In full view of everybody and our scriptures for thousands of years have been telling that someone would come, the anointed one, the Mashiach, the, the, the great king would come, but he would not come like any other king. He would be a suffering servant. He would be Emmanuel, God with us. He would live in our place, die as our substitute for our sin, not for his own sins that he had done, slaughtered on a cross. And three days later, he would rise again. That's the good news. That's what I believe, he says. Now, <laughs> Paul is in this courtroom. Again, this is one of the, this is the moment here of the, Remembering a few good men that you can't handle This is happening right here. He's just launching into this speech, going into it. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you're insane. Too much study's made you crazy. That was the verse I memorized in high school and college when my, my, when my grades were bad. I got, I got, see, too much study'll make you crazy. Um, Too much study has made you crazy. And Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is a sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I'm sure these events are all familiar to him. For they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then Agrippa interrupts him. But let's take a look at this for a bit here. To take a moment here. Because for us, who... Maybe you've been a, a, a Christian your whole life or been raised in church your whole life. The, the way of Jesus is fairly known, even amongst people that aren't really part of church. that don't really ever go. I mean, I, watch, I was watching something on Hulu or Netflix the other day in some really violent, crazy movie, and they got talked about, yeah, it's like turning water into wine. It wasn't a God-Jesus movie at all, but like, people know the stories. We, we, we live here, and so well, here's what happens. All the time here, I'll bump into you guys that have seen some special about a, a particular faith, the Mormon, Mormon faith, the Jewish, uh, Jewish faith, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Scientology, and go, man, those guys believe some weird things, and that's just weird. Can I tell you right now, to somebody who's on the outside of this, what we do here, let's be honest, this stuff sounds crazy. To somebody new to this, we got, just, we got used to crazy. Now look at me, just because it's crazy doesn't mean it's not true but it's going to sound crazy. Let, let me just talk, walk you through this. Let's just say I walked in here today, kind of going, guys, I've been studying this like crazy the last few months. I haven't told you a lot about it, but man, I heard about this several months ago down in Chula Vista. There's this, uh, uh, framing contractor and he made all these crazy claims and they have like videos of this guy that he healed people. And then he fed people with a little kid's happy meal at this thing out in the park one day. And all these crazy things were happening. And I so again, checking that out and it was kind of going crazy. Like it's all over the place. You guys probably heard about this kind of crazy weirdo guy, but he did some crazy weird things. He went into p- political settings and religious settings and kind a couple of times just Bleh! did stuff. He was a big threat. They crazy mob thing. It's hard to even describe how it happened, but they sentenced him to death by lethal injection and they put him to death. And they took him to the morgue, you know, in those, the big steel door things, so where they open it up like in CSI and then slide the body in there. Because, you know, it happened on Friday, they have to put him in a grave uh, on Monday when they do all that. And then we said, then there's crazy stuff people are saying. They got back there on Monday to go get him ready for burial, and the doors were blown off the place, and he was gone. People thought, maybe the disciples came in here and stole him away, and didn't happen because people said they'd actually seen him alive. You know what you think about me if I said, told you that story today? You're crazy, dude. That's the Jesus story. Did this happen? And he, Paul says, look, it didn't happen in some far-off corner in some obscure place. It happened, like, names of actual places and times. Uh, Paul's going to tell us, look, it's not crazy. Over in 1 Corinthians 15, the Corinthian church was trying to syncretize everything and kind of take the edgy stuff off of Christianity and kind of blend it in with their pagan mythology and their pagan religions and all that. And Paul goes, you can't do it that way cannot do it that way. Jesus died and rose again, was seen alive by eyewitnesses. At one point, 500 of them at one time, most of them are still alive. You want to know it's true or, go, true or not? Go ask those fools over there. They were there. They saw it happen. So That's it absolutely true. But again, I, I get it that it's true. And then again, what we do here at church, you, we're kind of used to this. We're going to come in here. Watch this. And we're going to sing songs to somebody who's not there. Amen. I know you say amen, but I'm telling you, you're new to this, and some of you are new. I've talked to a few of you here, like, okay, the music stuff is just kind of weird to me because, like, people are closing their eyes, raising their hands all in. Where is he? <laughs> and then to top it all, we wrap up our service every, just about every week where we tell you, hey, there's some bread and juice there that symbolizes the body and the blood of the guy who was executed. We're going to go eat that and drink that. Now, just because it's crazy doesn't mean it's not true. But I'm just telling you, let's be honest about that. So for, for those of you that are still like, ah, I don't know about this, this is weird, and I don't get all of it, we get it. We, we sympathize, we try to empathize with you on that. Paul is then, turns his attention from Festus, saying, I'm not crazy, King Agrippa, you're here, and Agrippa, you were raised going to, not to church, but to synagogue and Sabbath." All the time. You're a Jewish person. You know these stories. You know all about this. Agrippa interrupted him. Look at verse 28. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, quick or not, I don't care. I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience, to all the people trying to kill him and railroad him to the justice system, that everyone here might become the same as I am except for these chains. And then the story wraps up. He says, look, we could probably turn him loose, but he appealed to Caesar, so... Now we have to let him go. Today, there are some of you that are part of our Crosspoint family, and you're just like King Agrippa and Festus here. It sounds crazy. It sounds weird. And your deal is, so Steve, are you really trying to convince me to become a Christian today? Absolutely. Well, I, I still have questions and issues. Look, I've been a Christian now for like a lot of years. I've been a pastor for 30 plus years. I still have questions and issues about this. stuff. So I go, I can't explain it. I go, I, I don't know about some of it. And the other thing, here's the other one too that happens all the time. For people who are exploring faith and, and spirituality and the way of Jesus, it's like, well, okay, okay, but I'm, I'm not ready. Look at me for a second. You're never going to be ready for this. Think about the most important decisions you've made in your life. That first real job you had, were you ready for that? Marriage. Some of you go, well, I was ready for marriage. Yeah, you thought you were ready for marriage, and then you got married, and you're about ten minutes in, you went, what? Up? <laughs> He's this or she's the, I'm telling you. Some of the guys are going, that's right, man. And, and 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 the guy said, oh, not me, babe, not you. Yeah, shut up, dude, you're lying. You know exactly it was you. <laughs> Having children. Yeah, these cute little babies that come and go, you play the little Sarah McLaughlin music to it. It's all beautiful and amazing. And what is it? Within a month, they, they are screaming and yelling and hitting and like, because they want to be fed right now at three o'clock in the morning. These self, self-absorbed little offspring. <laughs> You're never going to be ready to feel ready for this. And here's the deal. The question and issue for you is simply this. There's all kinds of things you need to explore about faith. Go for it. Great. Do it. But faith in Christ just simply says this 2,000 years ago, he lived, he died, and he rose again. And that life and that death in my place for my sin and that resurrection to new life counts for me today. I believe that. And in your heart, it's such a confession of your heart. And that's time. Some, some of you are ready for that decision today. On that connection card, drop me a note about that. I'll pray, talk with you. Maybe come find me after church. We'll sit out here and I'll just talk everybody else go away. We'll talk uh, here inside, not outside because it's too hot outside. Um, but we'd love to talk to you about what that means to take that step of faith. And then, what if? What if in a world that's becoming more and more skeptical Right now, we're not being persecuted in the West, in America, but we're being ridiculed. In some ways, it's being opposed. There's all kinds of stuff happening out there, how how Christians are viewed oftentimes. Um, Looking for people, looking around, recognizing people are trying to write us off and ridicule us. What if we didn't give them anything to load the gun? What if? What if, here's a crazy thought for us. (laughs) What if we actually followed Jesus when we are persecuted, when they make fun of us? What if we actually just, not just believe that he died and rose again for me, but I'm going to actually follow him and do what he says every single time. When we do that, there will still be people like Festus, like Agrippa here, they're going to think we're crazy and think, oh, come on, whatever. Not everybody's going to believe They're going to label us as insane, fools, morons, idiots, whatever you want to call us, outrageous, reckless, whatever kinds of people. But here's what else is going to happen for a few of them. A few of them are going to look around and go, I still think it's lame and dumb and foolish or whatever, but... Dang, I wish it was true. We're going to have to get all the way people, all the way there. What if we could just get people like, I just wish it was true? Not by just reading their Bible, by reading you and reading me. Band's coming up. This is our opportunity, guys, here in a world. We can all decry everybody's leaving the church and the millennials and the Gen Zs and the Alpha, Gen, whatever it is right now. This is the moment right now. To say that what they're rejecting is a version of Christianity that bears little resemblance to Jesus. It's all religious and safe and all that. What if we actually started following Jesus and gave people the opportunity to see Jesus himself, not some crazy, weird, distorted thing that we've concocted to make us feel better about ourselves and just actually did what he said no matter what. We're going to sing songs today. We're going to sing a song called uh, Reckless Love. It's the second song we're doing here today. People sometimes get a little uptight about that song. Well, God's love isn't reckless because God's strategic. I, come on, seriously? A God who would send his son in the world to die for you and me? You think, oh yeah, because I'm awesome. No, you're not awesome. You're, you're ridiculous. Every single one of you are ridiculous. Foolish, black-hearted, wretched sinners. Every single one of you. It just says nothing about, the, about your goodness that God died for you. You know what it says about, what it says? It says that God's good and God's awesome, not you. So we're going to celebrate that. today. We're going to sing these songs today. And if you're newer to this, just stay here with us in the moment here. Let some of this warm up into your heart. We have communion in the four corners of the room. We talked about it a little bit. Simply remember the one who did this outrageous, crazy thing 2,000 years ago. I didn't even read the verses because we didn't have time today in First Corinthians chapter 1. Look at First Corinthians 1, 18, Paul, Paul says it this way. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He says, so we will gladly be labeled fools for Christ so that somehow, some way, somebody might go, it's a little weird, I don't get it, but I want it. So we're gonna sing. Our prayer team is in the back of the house today. If you have anything going on in your life right now where you need prayer for a particular struggle, something you're going through, make your way back there and talk to them. God, today in this place, so badly. I want this Crosspoint Kingdom outpost to make some trouble in the world, not by rising up and protesting and following the systems and programs of the world, but by actually following our King into battle who washes feet, who gets walked on, who gets trampled on, whose rights and entitlements all get whatever. So that a watching world would say, there's something different about
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out gotocrosspoint.com.